18 Habits of Self-Made Millionaires and Billionaires. Now, in my 15-year study of millionaires and billionaires, I've interviewed 15 billionaires personally. I've got uh, my next billionaire interview coming soon with a Russian billionaire. Um, In the early years of studying millionaires and billionaires, it was the normal things that started to come out, like work hard and, you know, build a team and have a vision and be disruptive. And I found the more I studied millionaires and billionaires, these were very generic and they weren't holistic. You know, they weren't specific. They weren't detailed and they weren't actually that accurate. Because, you know, everyone works hard, even if they earn 35, 40 grand a year. Well, let me, not everyone works hard, but if you ask anyone who works, they'll all say, oh, yeah, Rob, I work really hard, really, really hard. So hard work, for example, on its own is actually not a common trait of millionaires and billionaires. Now, I say this with humility, but I wrote the UK's best-selling book on money called Money. Uh, I also have a podcast called Money with um, nearly 200 episodes now on all things money-related, including those interviews with billionaires. And um, I interviewed Martin um, Fridson, who wrote the book called How to Be a Billionaire, and he's interviewed more billionaires than I have. So through second and third degree separation, I have in-depth explored many billionaires And um, I know hundreds of millionaires and multimillionaires and decamillionaires. Now, look, I'm not giving you this context to go, well, look at me, because, I, you know, a millionaire, a billionaire or a zero. It's not like they're a better or worse person. It's just I think life is better when you make money. And I think that the things that you want, like freedom and choice and travel and happiness and autonomy, these are um, there's less friction and more speed of this happening for you um, when you have more money. Now, in this 15-year research study I've essentially done, uh, the start of it was me being £50,000 in consumer debt, which means that I was £50,000 on credit cards and personal loans, not including a, you know, a good debt mortgage for a house, for example. And so when I started getting into the world of personal development and business and realizing I was fully responsible for my life, my results... Um, I started to go on this really intensive study. I didn't know it was going to be a 15-year research project, which doesn't have an end because I haven't finished it yet. But the very first book I read, uh, my first experience of learning about money was um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which I was even referencing today, which is nearly 100 years old. And I would say in the pursuit of learning about money, um, I've probably, well, I've, I've read more than 3000 books, so surely 30 or 40% of them have got to be money related. Um, and my first journey was getting out of debt. And then my second journey was making my first hundred thousand pounds clear. And then my third stage of the journey was making my first million before the age of 31. And then becoming a decamillionaire, which is 10 million. And I, I measure pounds, not dollars, because obviously pounds are slightly more, more valuable than dollars just because of the currency exchange. Um, and to be honest, um, about 10 million, I kind of stopped tracking as religiously as I, I used to. I probably should start tracking much more again. I'm That was seven years ago. I'm 42 now. Um, and I realized along the journey a few things. So number one, actually being a millionaire is not enough to live anymore. 
It's definitely not enough to retire. And it's not a huge amount of money if you think about how inflation has eroded that when, say, for example, Warren Buffett became a millionaire or J. Paul Getty was a billionaire. I mean, pound for pound, some of the billionaires, you know, 50 or 100 years ago were, you know, they were actually more wealthy than even some of the people now who are, you know, worth 100 billion. Um, I also realized, and this is just something um, kind of, I wouldn't say it's flippant, but I would say if you want a rough number of the amount of money that's enough to live on comfortably for many years, maybe even the rest of your life, it's probably about 10 million. Because if you think of a, a usual return on investment or asset would be about 5%. So let's say you're using cash as an investment and you wanted a, a relatively passive return and you invested it, invested it into assets without any leverage. You could probably realistically expect a 5% return. So on 10 million, you're uh, 500,000 a year. Now, that sounds like quite a lot. But if you have two kids through private education and then tax <laughs> and then two or three cars and then a house with a mortgage and two nice holidays, you've probably only got 150,000, 100,000 of that left. So it's a lot more money than you think now to be able to fully retire, which isn't the, the subject of this um, episode. But I definitely will do more content on that. Now, your asset value should go up. But of course, inflation goes up, which means cost of living goes up, which means actual value of your pound or your dollar goes down. So therefore, you need to incrementally increase it. Now, if you add leverage to that 10 million cash, you actually might have a 50 million asset base. And so your income will increase. But I've gone on this journey and I figured this out in my late 20s and early 30s. And a lot of people talk about traits and habits of millionaires, but they haven't met a hundred or researched a few hundred. And again, I say this with humility, but I have. So what I'll do is I'll list you the 18 traits I'm going to cover. And then I'm going to detail each one. Um, I probably won't go into minute detail on each one. Maybe I'll actually in the future do an episode on each one because, I, you know, I could go to the nth degree cubed detail on each trait. Um, but stay around because about halfway through, I'm going to just give you um, some resources, including where to get all the notes and all the transcriptions and the content of um, this episode, which you're listening to. Uh, and then I'm also, um, for some of you, going to give you a gift which I think will be very valuable to you when it comes to making recurring income, you know, um, online residual income, income that comes in every single month. I believe there's, well, there's actually about 18 different asset types that you can leverage to create recurring income. But there's five main overarching types. And you'll get access to all of that resources and inf all those resources and information uh, at the end of this episode. So st stick around and welcome to the possibly the UK's first Facebook audio room. So 18 habits of self-made millionaires. Number one is curiosity. Number two is full responsibility. Number three is trends and early market movements. Now, those of you that are like, Rob, slow down. I'm taking notes. Don't worry. I'm going to give you access to resources where you'll get the detailed um, transcription of this. This is a, a gift 
from me to you as part of the resources of listening to the episode in my pursuit of serving you as much as I can. Number four is energy. Number five is education and continual improvement. Number six is consistency and persistence. Number seven is continual solutions to problems. Number eight is goals, but um, it's actually a different look at goals than most people will tell you um, because I think most people live in goal fantasy and I call it goal realism. Number nine is serving vast numbers of people. Number 10 is partnerships and relationships. Number 11 is sales and marketing. Number 12 is making a profit. Number 13 is managing your emotions. Number 14 is accepting criticism. Number 15 is creating multiple income streams. Number 16 is avoiding time drains. Number 17 is leverage. And number 18 is learning, but then breaking the rules. So that's the agenda for this episode. And I want to thank you for being here and being on this UK first. Just as a reminder to everyone who's just joined, this is possibly the UK's first audio room, certainly one of the very first. And I'm running this as a test to see if this feature and function works well, if you love it um, as listeners, to seeing how many people would actually join and listen, to play with some of the tools, to see if this is an improvement on, for example, Clubhouse, where you've heard me do lots of content. Okay, so... Number one trait and habit of self-made millionaires is curiosity. Now, this is quite paradoxical and quite uncommon sense because a lot of people perceive that millionaires and billionaires either think they know it all or assume that they have really good knowledge to get where they are. I have not met a a billionaire or a millionaire that thinks they know it all. And there's actually quite a lot of misconception about millionaires and billionaires. I mean, all you have to do is go on my Facebook page and see all the critics and trolls and haters and rants about the rich. You know, the rich are evil, the the rich are greedy, the rich don't give any money away, the rich are hoarders, the rich are selfish. You know, there's, uh, I mean, because there's obviously a lot of, um, there's sort of a national and global kind of bitterness in a way post lockdown. But I've never met, a millionaire or billionaire that thinks they know it all. In fact, they're intensely curious. So uh, two or three billionaires that I've been interviewing for my Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, um, I've interviewed them and they've kind of just turned the tables on me and they've started interviewing me and they've asked me a load of questions. I can tell you if five of my billionaire friends were up on the top of this audio room with me, they would start grilling me. Rob, what's this audio room? How did you get the feature? How does it compare to Clubhouse? And they would be grilling me on learning what I know, even though I'm the Decker plus millionaire and they're the billionaire because curiosity got them where they are. So why would they think they know it all? And I think curiosity is quite linked to humility because to be curious is to be interested in finding the answer And to be curious is to be interested in finding the answer from anyone and everyone, knowing that anyone and everyone could give you your answer. Therefore, it's humble to not pedestalize yourself above someone else just because you're a billionaire and you level yourself with everyone to be curious. So millionaires and billionaires, they don't think any question is stupid. And do you know what? The smartest people in the room are prepared to look like the stupidest people in the room by asking the stupidest question. So there's a paradox there that the stupidest question is probably the smartest question asked by the smartest person. Whereas the ego is, oh, I want to look good and I want to look clever and I don't want to look stupid and and yada. 
So when you remain curious, you're always open to learning new strategies and tactics and mindsets and skill sets. So you always have progression and growth and evolution and revolution. And therefore, any challenge you have, you can transcend. Anytime it gets difficult, you can solve and learn your way out of it. But you also get a a great experience in life. Because if you're curious, it's like you're a child. It's like you're playful. It's like you want to learn how the game works. It's like everything is new and exciting and it's a discovery. So I would highly encourage you to stay curious, stay humble, stay playful, have the beginner's mindset, the student's mindset, even if you are a master. And this is most people do not know this. They just assume the opposite of millionaires or billionaires that oh, they know it all or 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 actually. They feel that they must have a lot of knowledge to have gotten where they've gotten. I think the day you think you know it all is the start of the end, you know, of your business model or your journey of growth in life. Okay, number two then is full responsibility. Now, this one triggers people. I'm going to assume that you all follow me on Facebook because you're in here listening to an audio room. But if not, make sure you follow me on my Facebook page. Uh, And um, I do regular live videos. I do probably three or four rants a week. And anytime I write a post about you being fully and finally and personally responsible for everything, it triggers the heck out of people. By the way, I don't know why I'm just stopping my swearing. Heck, I've not said heck forever. I usually say fuck. (laughs) I think I'm respecting the new feature and I want Mark Zuckerberg to be happy with me. We've got nearly 200 on the first ever audio room. I think that's amazing. Thank you, by the way, for all being here. So, you know, for example, um, when I say about you are fully responsible for everything in your life, there's people go, oh, what about rape? What about abuse? You know, what about cancer? And they immediately get triggered and they miss the freaking point. So the point of full and final and personal responsibility is that you take the blame rather than give the blame. And you accept that you attracted what you attracted, even if you didn't. So even if it's not your fault, it is. And why is this a great mindset to have? Because only when you take full responsibility can you change something that's gone wrong. Only can you move forward once you fully accept that you can change things. And you can only change things when you accept that you created it. Now, I'm not going to go deep into the hardcore manifestation of trauma and issues that you've created in your life. But I, I sit here at 42 years old, accepting the fact that anything I've, that's happened in my life that I didn't like or that really challenged me or was painful or traumatic... I must have attracted somewhere because I must have disowned the opposing part. Therefore, I attracted the challenge in order for me to own the disowned part. So, for example, you know, one of my um, mentors and the people I look up to, as many of you know, is Dr. John Demartini. And he did a brilliant post about bullies. And he believes that people who are bullied attract bullies because the bullies are the manifestation of challenge to strengthen the bullied. And he believes that the bully and the bullied need each other because the bully is taught humility by the bullied when the bullied stands up for themselves. And the bullied is taught strength by the bully when the bully comes into their life. And as soon as you stand up to the bully, the bully disappears because you've owned the weakness and you've learned the strength. So the bullied and the bully 
teach each other their disowned parts. So the, the bully, they've disowned, you know, humility. And of course, they're in anger and aggression. But the bullied has disowned strength and, and challenge and is probably, you know, maybe in some ways a weak or a victim. And, and look, I know that this could be triggering because there can be extreme forms of bullying. So, you know, let's just um, I just want to say, say that fair trigger warning there. But I do believe this to be true. Because if you believe in some kind of super connected, super consciousness, or you believe that things happen for a reason or manifestation or whatever you want to call it, I believe you attract the people and the situations and the events in your life equally to support you on your vision and challenge you to own the disowned parts of your traits and your personality and your um, habits and, you know, the progress of your journey. But if you blame everyone else, you're in victim mode. And all you're going to do when you blame everyone else is attract more of what you don't want to attract. And I wouldn't say that billionaires and millionaires I've spoken to have explained it like that. But I don't know if you've ever seen the film Suits and you see Harvey. And anytime there's a massive problem, Harvey goes, right, I'm going to fix it. And he just goes and fix it. And he's like, he always takes responsibility to fix stuff, even if he didn't create the problem. And I like to think like that. Something happens, it's why now, why me, not fair, it's hard enough, I've got too much on, I can't handle this right now. And, you know, the, the child or the chimp or the, you know, the triggering and the emotions, it all kicks in. And we're all allowed a bit of that because we're human beings. Um, but then hopefully that doesn't last too long and you say, right, okay. Yeah, I'm going to give myself a few minutes to wallow in, in my own self-pity and misery. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay, I've had that bath. The water's gone cold. I'm getting out. And now I take full responsibility. And when you take full responsibility, it's so freaking liberating. I cannot even tell you. Because things immediately change when you own it and you take responsibility. Let's say you manage someone and they didn't do a good job. Well, then you own it by saying, I need to manage them better. You invested in an asset class and it didn't make much money. Then you need to do better research or you need to invest yourself rather than in use someone else to invest for you. Okay, right. Number three, then a trends and early market movement. So if you look at the really big billionaires, they got in markets at the right time. And the right time in a market is usually early, but not too early. It's early enough. So there's enough room for growth. And so they're in at the more exponential point of growth. So people talk about hockey stick growth and exponential growth. Um, and, you know, they've got the early adopter and the late adopter curve. You may have seen these. So usually people have made a lot of money out of a market, a one in a right market that makes money. Uh, and two, early, but maybe not too early. Because, you know, what? often if you're the first, you are the failed experiment. So you don't always want to be the first. I probably should have tested a smaller audio room before I did this. But actually what Facebook did in launched it in America only. Um, and a few of the American influencers got the feature, only verified accounts. And then they brought it out into the UK. And now I've been given it only verified accounts. So, um, you know, when you get into something early, but not too early, someone else has tested it. Like Clubhouse has really tested that this feature is something that people want. And now Facebook are able to come in and go, well, we're going to create our own version. And then we'll give it to some American verified accounts and then some UK verified accounts and then it'll be rolled out to the masses later. So um, you can't always trend markets. Sorry, you can't always time markets and trends. But, um, you know, like if you've got an insurance, that's, a, that's hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. 
So, you know, unless you're a big company already, that's probably a hard market to get into. But if you get into NFTs or cryptocurrencies or building your personal brand or some social media like Clubhouse or Audio Rooms, Audio Rooms maybe is a little bit early, but it's not um, too, too early and super early. And someone else has done the testing first and things have broken because you want it to break on someone else, not you. Okay, number four then of the 18 habits of self-made millionaires and billionaires is energy. Now, I'm going to define energy in a very specific way. Um, and I said, don't worry about taking notes because I'm going to give you access to all of this. So um, remind me about, well, you can't remind me about that because you can't speak. Um, all right, I'll, I will make sure. I, do you know what? Why don't I do it now? And then I don't forget because I know what I'm like and I'll forget it because I'll get too much into the content and get excited. I'm only on number three and we're 23 minutes odd in. So um, I'm going to give you a link. It's robmore.com forward slash MMM. So wherever you are right now, because obviously, you know, if you're listening, you might be doing something else at the same time. Stop what you're doing uh, and just go to a computer or a laptop or, or do it on your phone. But if you go to robmore.com forward slash MMM, as in make more money, robmore.com forward slash MMM. I'm going to give you the typed up detailed notes of this um, audio room, but I'm also going to give you a free copy of my book, Increase Your Fees With Ease, when I finish writing it, because I'm currently writing it. And you'll be one of, you know, a very small number of people across the planet who get that book for free. Um, and I've also got other money related content that I'm going to give you completely for free. So go to robmore.com forward slash MMM. Do it now and just go pop your details in there. Okay, I'm glad I've done that now. Um, and I can not worry about that anymore. Okay, number four then is energy. So I'm going to define energy. Endurance with no loss of enthusiasm over a long period of time. Endurance with no loss of enthusiasm over a long period of time. Because everyone defines energy differently. So some people say, you've got to get up at 5.30 a.m., motherfucker. You know, you've got to go down the gym three hours a day. You've got to eat only green shit, motherfucker. You know, and everyone's telling you how you should train and when you should wake up and how you should eat. And, but in reality, if you're Warren Buffett and you're in your 80s, or, you know, you're a 21-year-old crypto 100 millionaire, it's completely different as how you manage your energy, but you need to manage your energy. And I think the overall definition that I've seen, because, you know, Warren Buffett drinks Coke and eats McDonald's breakfasts. I mean, come on, that's, you know, that, people wouldn't teach you that about energy now, but it is endurance, i.e., how can you maintain 14, 15 hours of energy every single day on a consistent basis? How can you manage that energy over 10, 20, 30, 50 years? Because the law of compounding states that, you know, the more you gain, the more you gain. And the longer you're in, the more you gain. So if you've got this high and low ebb and flow on and off random energy, that's either you get loads of it and you spray it all over the place and then you have to, like this crash. Or you, you're like a, um, you know, a dog humping a tree <laughs> for two or three months and then you burn out. That's not conducive to long term success. And to be a millionaire or a billionaire, you need to be in the game for quite a long time. Like, you don't have to be great. You just have to be in it long. You know, I don't teach get rich quick. I teach get rich long. I want you to be rich for a very long, 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 long time instead of the allure of the instant fix. So whatever you need to do to manage your energy so you have endurance, and endurance is your energy, you know, your physicality, but it's also your enthusiasm. Because if you can't stay enthusiastic about your pursuit, your passion, your profession for decades, you're probably not going to be a millionaire or billionaire. 
So I've definitely found that to be a, 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 def a more specific and clear defined trait of just energy or exercise. Okay, number six is consistency and persistence, which means when it gets hard, you get harder. When it gets hard, you get harder. You keep on keeping on. Now, consistency is doing the same thing over and over. Persistence is doing hard things over and over. They're, they're similar but different. So I believe you need consistency, which is the same thing that works over and over and over a long period of time, maintaining, you know, ultimately many months or years of norm normality or somewhat boredom. Some of us are too much like adrenaline junkies, always trying to attract the new sexy, shiny thing. So we're not consistent on anything long enough for it to compound and grow. But then persistence is when it gets hard, you get harder. Hell yeah, mother trucker. All right, number seven of the 18 habits of millionaires and billionaires is continual solutions to problems. So naive fantasy is, oh, when I solve this problem, everything will be great. When I'm a millionaire, I can retire. When I start a business, I'll be my own boss. I can do what I want. You've just created a naive fantasy, and so you've set yourself up for a big fall. So the reality in business is your reward for a problem that you solved is a bigger one. Sorry to say, but that's the truth. So if I get you in reality, not fantasy, you're much more prepared for success. So some people think when I have passive income or I have a, when I have a million, I'll be retired. That'll be it. No, no, no. New level, new devil. Your reward for solving a problem is a bigger one. When you know that, you accept that your life is a continual pursuit of mastery and progress where your reward for solving a problem is a bigger one and you're rewarded for consistency and persistence over a long period of time, maintaining your energy, then you have much of the formula for vast and lasting wealth that most of the planet do not understand. Okay, number eight is goal realism. So the, the fact of a goal is it's a fantasy. Oh yeah, I want to be a millionaire. I want a Lamborghini. Well, that's a fantasy because so far you're nowhere near it and you haven't done anything to get it. So basically it's a dream. And dreams don't come true unless you turn them into a daily reality. So what I've seen millionaires and billionaires do is the fine balance between setting goals, which is a fantasy, but then understanding the day-to-day -day struggles and reality and problems to solve to get to the goal. And when things get hard, they get harder. And when there's a roadblock, they do a detour. So goal setting, most people don't do it. And that's a shame because you can't, you wouldn't get in a car and just drive without any sat nav for three hours and see where you ended up. So the first thing you do when you get in a car to go to a destination is you put the destination in. So your life, your business, your revenue targets, you should be putting the destination in. But then what a lot of people do is they put the destination in, some fantasy, and they're not prepared to do the miles and the, the yards that it takes to achieve that fantasy, that dream. So goal realism is setting a fantasy and then understanding the daily reality and doing what it takes to get there. Okay, number nine then is serving vast numbers of people. So it's probably quite selfish and you need to serve yourself to get out of debt. If you want to feed your family, you make a few grand a month. If you want to help your community, you might need to make 20 grand a month. If you want to help your county or your country, you might need to make 200 grand a month or 2 million a year. If you want to help your continent, you might need to be a decker or a hundred millionaire. If you want to help the planet, you might need to be a billionaire. So the more people you serve, the more your wealth rises to give you the tools and resources to serve more people. So they're intrinsically linked. You want to earn more money, serve more people. You serve more people, you'll earn more money.
The more people you help, the more money you make because you get a small share as long as you're able to commercialize it. You understand fair exchange. You understand the formula for wealth. So if any of you haven't read my book, Money, in my book, Money, I wrote a deep dive um, chapter on um, fair exchange. And fair exchange is turning your passion into a profession and commercializing it in a way that you make fair and sustainable profit and the buyer, the customer or the client gets fair value that they perceive um, they've received more value than they paid for. More value than they paid for is gratitude. Less value than they paid for is resentment. So if you can make a product or a service work on a sustainable and scalable profit margin, so you're grateful to create more of it, and they get more than they paid for, so they're grateful to consume it and refer it and recommend it, you have fair exchange, which is sustainable and scalable, which takes you from out of debt to millionaire, 100 millionaire, billionaire. So I did a deep dive chapter on that on my book, Money. And I also shared my formula for wealth in my book, Money, which is wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. Value is the value you create in the world. Fair exchange is your price margin and the value proposition where both the consumer and the producer are grateful. And then leverage is scale, how many people you serve, the vast numbers of people you serve. So I might do separate audio rooms on fair exchange and on the formula for wealth if I get good feedback from this room, if you think you want me to do more of them like this. Um, but in the meantime, go grab my book, Money. You can buy it on Amazon, Audible, any um, bookstores. I'm told it's the best-selling book on money in the UK since it was written and it's published by one of the top two publishers in the world. So and again, say that with humility because I'm a student and I'm learning every day. I've had some amazing lessons the last two years in business, even though I've been in business 15 years. Um, so, you know, new level, new devil. Um, the more you learn, the more you earn. But yeah, maybe you want to go and grab yourself that gift and, and get a copy of my book, Money. Okay, so we've covered of 18 habits of self-made millionaires and billionaires, one curiosity, two full responsibility, three trends and early market movements, four energy, number five was education and continual improvement, number six was consistency and persistence, number seven was continual solutions to problems, number eight was goal realism, number nine was serving vast numbers of people, number 10 is partnerships and relationships, collaborations, joint venture partnerships. There is no such thing as self-made. No millionaire is self-made. They need teams, people, outsource, scale, leverage systems uh, and relationships with bankers, with solicitors, you know, with recruiters, with marketers, with salespeople, with strategists, with people with databases, people with podcasts. So, Going from the competition mindset and the, you know, I'm a self-made person to a collaborative mindset where everything is a partnership and a relationship, this is the key, I think, to growing and scaling and becoming a millionaire or billionaire. And when I say I think, I mean I know. Look at Virgin. Richard Branson and the brand of Virgin partners with companies. Like most of the Virgin companies aren't companies that Virgin built. Virgin bring the brand and the company brings the product. So MBNA brought um, the credit card company to Virgin Money. And then, you know, the internet and the gyms and the hotels and the makeup and all the companies that Virgin has. Most of them are joint ventureships, joint ventureships, which is a cross word between joint venture and partnerships that I just made up. Joint ventureships. I've made up quite a lot of words dramatically, which is a mix between dramatically and drastically. Joint ventureships are joint venture partnerships. But you need to get a mindset around collaboration over competition. If I was you in this uh, room 
And I got the audio room feature. I'd collab with people and get them all up. And Because maybe if more people run rooms together, more people actually join the room. I'd be interviewing people on podcasts and getting them to interview me. If I had a database, I'd promote a company I believe in and get them to promote me. No man is an island. No business person or millionaire is self-made. Number 11 is sales and marketing. So many people, when they build a business, they focus on the product. And whilst that's good, because a great product in the end will rise to the top, like the cream of the milk rises to the top. You can dramatically increase the speed of your product to market and popularity by being great at sales and marketing. And marketing generates leads and sales converts the leads into cash. No sales and marketing, no cash. No marketing, no leads. No sales, no cash. So people, you know, when people say, oh, the product sells itself, that usually means they don't know how to sell it and they're not making much money. Nothing sells itself. You know, Steve Jobs had to have a vision. He had to do the graft. He had to build a brand before everyone queued up to buy the iPhone. So um, get good at sales and marketing and you can always grow your business. If there's ever a problem, cash solves all. I think it was Mark Cuban, but it was definitely one of the Shark Tank or the billionaires Cash solves all. Any problems in business is solved by cash. Marketing generates the lead and sales converts the lead into cash. So sales and marketing are intrinsically linked. Too many companies don't focus enough on sales and marketing. They are the two most important departments and functions of a company, even more so than the product, because you can have a great product and no one knows about it. Or you can have an average product, but really good sales and marketing. Um, I'll tell you which one will do better. You don't need me to tell you, you know. Okay, number 12 then. You've got to make a profit. Turnover is vanity. Profit is sanity. You need a sustainable and scalable profit margin. And the way that you do that is make sure that when you sell something for £10, you make at least two or three pounds. And then as you scale, you track your margin so that it doesn't go down and down and down. I understand that Tesco profit margin is about 3%, very low. But on billions of turnover, that's a lot of money. But the thinner your margin, the more risk you have of, you know, variables and changes and losing your main supplier and price rises and supply chain issues and yada, yada. So um, most people are focused on the top line. You've got to be focused on the bottom line. You've got to be profit focused as well as turnover focused. And every millionaire and billionaire I know, they have up to date management accounts, profit and losses. They have, you know, board meetings and going over all of their key key performance indicators and all the main metrics. They get daily sales reports. You know, you cannot master what you do not measure. So you need to measure the metrics in your business. And every millionaire and billionaire I know, they know their numbers. Okay, next then, number 13 is managing your emotions, which means calm under pressure, managing increasing levels of stress. I um, watched a billionaire do an interview um, and he basically said, look, The main difference between the billionaires I know and the really well-educated Harvard Business School people who are basically um, skint and whilst they might make a fair bit of money, they spend it all and they're on the breadline and they're not millionaires or billionaires. The main difference I see between them two is that the millionaires and the billionaires can handle much higher levels of stress. So the more stress you can handle that isn't stress to you, it's normal the more problems you can take on, the more growth you can handle, the more chaos you can turn into order. So too many people, as soon as it goes wrong, oh, that's not fair, why me? Or they get angry or they react or they go inside themselves and they tell themselves they're not good enough, but they cannot transcend and master their emotions. 
And, you know, if you look at some billionaires, you think, whoa, you have a massive responsibility and you look pretty damn calm to me. So managing and mastering your emotions, this is definitely like some of the most relaxed, laid back, cool, calm people I've met are worth four, five and six hundred million pounds. They're certainly cooler and calmer than me and I'm not worth six hundred million pounds. So you manage and master your emotions. And by the way, you manage and master your life. Because let's all be really honest here. And give me a thumbs up if you'd agree with this. Have you ever lost your shit and regretted it? Have you ever sent an email and thought, oh shit, I wish I could unsend that? Do you ever fully, um, are you ever fully grateful and pleased with yourself when you got angry and lost your shit? No, of course not. So, you know, those emotions, they're strong. The, the emotions are strong in you, Padawan. Ooh, help you, I will. All right, number 14 is accepting criticism. So people will hate about you the very thing that's great about you. That is standard. Carry on being yourself. Do not let either praise or criticism distract you from your mission and vision. And if you can accept criticism from all people, not just people you respect, but from critics, um, and even if people are sort of hating on you, but they're making some good points, if you can see that criticism for what it is, useful information to grow and then implement that without ego getting in the way. You're going to keep the new level, new devil, new level, new devil. You're going to transcend new levels. You're going to go from big problem to bigger problem to bigger problem with lower levels of stress and higher levels of revenue. But most people can't accept criticism. They've got too much ego. They're too scared. They have not, not enough self-worth or they're too arrogant or they're too bullish. Apps, accepting criticism. And when I say accepting criticism, I mean taking feedback, number one, but I also mean accepting that you will have critics. If you want a bit of a laugh, go on my Facebook page. I have 160,000 followers and I've probably had 160,000 like hate or critic comments in the last few months. All right, I'm slightly exaggerating, but I've had a lot. I get hundreds of critics and haters. These guys don't know me from Adam. They have no idea who I am. They've been scrolling. They've seen me shout and rant or make a divisive point about money. I've triggered them to think differently. It's hit their ego. They're pissed off with themselves. They hate their life. They're pissed off with the government. They're pissed off with all the taxes. They're pissed off with, you know, they, you know, they haven't had sex for 22 years. They're just pissed off. And then they see me and they're like, fuck you, motherfucker. And I get it all. And it's nothing to do with me. And I accept it and I like it. In fact, you know what? My life will be so much more boring and less interest, less interesting, less fun. I love my critics, trolls, haters, punks and wankers. If you've got any critics, trolls, haters, punks and wankers free, give them to me. I want more. I need more. I love them. Oh, man, they're poetic. Number 15. Number 15 is multiple streams of income. They used to say that having multiple streams of income was a luxury. Now it's a necessity. If you have one income stream, you're totally at risk from lockdown, pandemic, one supplier going bust or losing a big supplier, losing a big client, small change in the market, increase in prices, you know, blockage of supply chain. You're just way too reliant and exposed if you have one stream of income. So you need multiple streams of income. You need uh, increased flow of income and you need um, increased diversity of income. You need your income to come from multiple customers, multiple assets and multiple income and lead sources. Now, don't start them all at once. So I believe there are 18 different recurring income streams from five main asset classes that help you build multiple streams of income. So what you need to do is learn the main basic 
forms and streams of income, then batch them into the five main types, and then choose the main type you're going to start with that's maybe more relevant to you, that you've got a head start on, you've got a bit of experience in or that you like the most. And you're going to build an asset base on that because it's only assets that produce recurring income, by the way. Nothing else can bring recurring income other than an asset. But there's multiple types of assets, as I said, up to 18 of them. And then once you've got an asset class producing income, you then start the next asset class. And you create this kind of cookie cutter model until you've got one in the five main classes. So if you'd love to build multiple streams of income, you'd love to build recurring income, know the 18 different asset types and the five main classes. I have a, a gift for you right now, and it's called the Recurring Income Summit. So this is actually only the second time I've ever run this event. And the first one was really just a small test for a few people just to get the amount of speakers we've got right, to get the model right, to teach you the income streams in the right order, the delivery right. So this is basically a brand new event. So if you go right now to robmore.live forward slash summit, that's robmore.live forward slash summit. Go there right now. It's all streamed online. It is a live event, not a recorded event. Uh, now, I'm not going to make this event um, like a recorded available to anyone. And I'm not going to run this event very much. This might be the only one I'm running this year. In fact, I haven't worked out if I'm going to do any more. Robmore.live forward slash summit. Pop your details in there. And at the um, Recurring Income Summit, I, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm doing a couple of keynote speeches at this event. And what I'll do is teach you the 18 main different types of assets, individual assets that produce recurring income. By that, I mean every month, unbreakable, indestructible, continual, passive almost. Um, I'll teach you them. Then I'll teach you the five main classes. Then I've got a guest expert on each main class. I've also got some big heavyweight guests. We've got one surprise speaker who, if I can, I think I've got him nailed and he's a billionaire. I've got one person who's worth 560 million. I've got the formal global marketing director of Coca-Cola. I've got the former CEO of Porsche, BMW and Lamborghini. So I've got some massive heavyweights at this event um, and some surprises for you. So it's for you if you want to create multiple streams of income, recurring income, you want to build assets that produce recurring income. You want to know how to do it properly, sustainably, scalably, but safely. Okay, right, let's move on to 16 then. So I've got three left. Avoiding time drains is number 16. You cannot become a millionaire and a billionaire just chasing every distraction. Uh, I think Churchill said, if you stop and, um, I, th I don't know the exact phrase, but if you stop and point or fight at every dog that barks, you'll never get to your destination. So if you deal in minutiae, complaining, defending, justifying, whinging, moaning, drama, minutiae, low income generating, no income generating tasks, admin. If you deal in all of that, you can't deal in dollars. If you want to deal in dollars, you need to get rid of all minutiae, all time drains. You need to be ruthless with your time management, ruthless with your priority. You need to know the best use of your time right now and your highest income generating tasks. And millionaires and billionaires, they know the value of their time. They know the time drains and the time gains. And you need to know the difference. And skimp people don't. They just chase their tail. Okay, number 17 is leverage. So leverage is earning on other people. Earning on their time, earning on systems, on assets, is creating multiple um, universes of time. If you do 10 hours work a day, five days a week, that's 50 hours a week you gain. But if you earn 
just 10 hours a week on 100 people, you gain 1,000 hours a week. So even if they're not as good as you, you gain time by leveraging other people. If you have a system or a process or automation that you don't even need the person, you have double leverage because you don't have to pay the person. But, you know, millionaires and billionaires, they leverage banks. They leverage systems, software, processes, people, partnerships, collaborations. Remember, no one is self-made. So leverage is achieving more with less. It's gaining from someone else, somewhere else, something else. It's a, a task performed without you having to perform it. And then number 18, the final one on the 18 habits of self-made millionaires and billionaires is they learn the rules and then they break them. So they model the traits of the greats for success. They get mentors, they get accountable, they go on courses, they educate themselves. You know, one of the reasons that the Recurring Income Summit will be great for you is can you, you can learn the traits of the greats of what? 10 amazing keynote speakers worth anything from probably 10, 20 million up to billions, 500, 600, 800 million. So you're going to learn the rules of money from the money masters. But then when you're a millionaire and a billionaire yourself, you can start to create your own rules. And I find that millionaires and billionaires with experience that the rules they learn, they can break them. Because, you know, Steve Jobs is like, well, I don't, I don't do customer research. You know, I know what my customer wants more than they know. Yeah, he does. But he had to earn that right. He had to learn the rules before he broke them. Right. So quick summary. Okay. So the 18 habits of self-made millionaires and billionaires. Number one, curiosity. Number two, full responsibility. Number three, trends and early market movements. Number four, energy. Number five, education and continual improvement. Number six, consistency and persistence. Number seven, continual solutions to problems. Number eight, goal realism. Number nine, serving vast numbers of people. Number 10, partnerships and relationships. Number 11, sales and marketing. Number 12, profit. Number 13, managing your emotions. Number 14, accepting criticism. Number 15, multiple income streams. Number 16, avoiding time drains. Number 17, leverage. And number 18, learning and then breaking the rules. 